This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. I do think there's some early experimentation going on here on both sides. But when I talk to employers or health systems, they realize there's a role for what I think of as primary care-oriented models or models that act as a gatekeeper to some of the services. And then there's a role for center of excellence or models that essentially move people to high-quality providers. Both need to move people to high-quality models. Hello, and welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I am your host, Kelly Richard. This week, we'll be talking direct-to-employer strategy. We have a packed panel of experts. Jim Riley, Senior Principal at SG2, who is leading the charge on our direct-to-employer offering at Vizient. Jeff Hayes, Executive Director of Direct-to-Employer Solutions here at Vizient, focused on developing and sharing the best practices in direct-to-employer offerings. And Brian Esser, Associate Principal of Intelligence at SG2, an expert in value-based care and employer health. Thank you all for joining me today. Let's start with a question that we always get whenever we're discussing direct-to-employer strategy. Employers have long been dissatisfied with the rising costs of healthcare, despite increases in healthcare costs of 4 to 5% per year. Self-insured companies, a tight labor market prior to the pandemic, employers have yet to really leverage any of that additional market power. What's different now? Jim, let's go to you first. You're right about this isn't anything new in the industry. I remember Kelly in the 90s calling on Ford Motor Company about a stronger relationship with one of our clients, including some carve out services. And Ford said, well, this sounds great. However, administratively, it sounds like a headache. We're going to pass right now. Today, the frustration level of self-insured employers has never been higher with the status quo. Some of that could be the pandemic accelerating those concerns financially because of the challenge in the industry and the overall economy over the last 18 months. Also, what's driving and accelerating meaningful relationships and volumes now is a couple of things analytics and tools that are available today that we just haven't had access to heretofore. That's helping a lot. There are companies providing solutions, administrative and conveners, increasing leverage of multiple employers, which is also driving and influencing this more so in the past. Those are some things we're seeing in the marketplace that are making this more real and tangible I think what's different is the overall transparency and what the employer is spending on the employer side versus the Medicare and Medicaid rates and understanding that they as the employer are really offsetting and subsidizing some of those rates for the provider themselves and getting frustrated that their expenses continue to grow. You know, they're seeing this line item of healthcare on their P&L and watching that grow uncontrolled with no ability to influence it five, six, seven percent a year. So really trying to understand how do we get our hands around that in a meaningful way while also wrestling the very complex nature of this expense item for the employees being healthcare, and then should we culturally be inserting ourselves into that decision for our employee base? The one thing I would add is I think there's a little more evidence and proof points that these models are actually working. Some of the early adopters that took a few years to actually publish results, talking about some of the others that are out publishing what they've learned, how they've done it, and tried to transfer that learning to other employers and that it actually works. It's the adoption curve of some of these models that are emerging that work for the employer side. 
That's a great point. And at SG2, over the last couple of years, we've developed a framework of three buckets to place all of the types of direct-to-employer models into. We have that add-on services that's not really part of benefit design. Then we have the carve-outs. Jeff just referred to some of the ones that are really successful. We've seen a lot of momentum gained with those in the market over the last decade or so. But over the last couple of years, Brian, you and I worked on some research on these models to kind of understand an update of how they're going. Has any specific model emerged as dominant? The center of excellence model continues to play a pretty significant role in the direct-to-employer space. There's quantifiable savings, as Jeff said, as you put employees in a position to maximize the benefit of really high-end, high-quality, outcomes-oriented providers, you see results, be it spine care, orthopedics, or cardiovascular, or other areas. The concern I have, and most employers say that is beneficial for a segment of my population, but what about my chronic condition patients or my maternity patients or other high spend areas that I can't quite get my hands around? How do you balance those two, the really high end procedural expensive areas, plus the lower medically acute issues that are always going to be there year in, year out and will drive an underlying expense burden for the employee? Jim, what do you think? The challenge with the add-on services to date is it really doesn't incent value. It's a way to connect more significantly with employees of an organization to enhance patient experience. But we're still fundamentally on a fee-for-service model, and we continue to see that increase in cost. The end game is the comprehensive coverage. But to succeed in that world, a provider needs to have some significant core competencies to manage that risk. We're in a stage now where center of excellence model is a good way to start that relationship. It's a good way to demonstrate value through an alternative payment model like a bundle or guarantees to that particular episode. And it's a great way to demonstrate quality, cost, and utilization. And so we're seeing some success in that space. It's only a narrow segment of an overall employer's cost, but it is moving us in the right direction. Jeff and I have had a lot of conversations about where this is all going, and we both believe it's the comprehensive coverage model. We just need to make sure we have the analytics, the primary care network, the care coordination and care navigation to do it right and to do it well. That's probably coming sooner than we think, but it'll be a very interesting evolution and journey there. Jeff, would you add anything there? I do think there's some early experimentation going on here on both sides. But when I talk to employers or health systems, they realize there's a role for what I think of as primary care-oriented models or models that act as a gatekeeper to some of the services. And then there's a role for center of excellence or models that essentially move people to high-quality providers. Both models need to move people to high-quality models. As time progresses, I expect to see the center of excellence models grow into more and more types of episodes, more types of services. I expect the primary care models to continue to grow in terms of ease of access and digital combinations of services to help those become more accessible and easy and convenient for people to use. And we'll see these two sort of merging together over time to provide a more complete solution for the employers. And then the health systems will need to understand where they play, which ones they have an advantage in, which ones they can play for the employer, and which ones work the best for them and capitalize on their strengths. That's a great point. As we've looked at these models over the years, the challenge is that it's really 
complex, difficult, and risky as a provider to take full risk for a whole population when you maybe don't have the data, you don't have the experience. Carving out something that's measurable and doable is a great way to sort of build up to that comprehensive model. We've talked to brokers, et cetera, who are piecing together all of those different centers of excellence, primary care models to try to pull it together into one comprehensive solution. Employers are craving that, but we don't currently have the system to flip it, at least not in every market your likelihood of getting to that level of relationship with an employer is heightened if you have a center of excellence relationship already established and you've proven the value. You're less likely to lose that relationship to a competing health system or a disruptive organization. So getting that relationship started in a positive way will lead to more significant relationships when we get to that total cost of care, comprehensive attributed population risk. There's some benefits of starting this sooner rather than later. I couldn't agree with that more, Jim. That center of excellence gives you that groundwork of trust. You need to show to the employer willing to bend and work with them for a high needs, high spend population and realize those outcomes. From there, it somewhat snowballs. You can start saying, okay, well, let us look at your claims. Let's see where else you're spending money, employer, and where we can help you beneficially. And from there, you build up over time to hopefully slice offering on their benefit page and saying, you can go with the national carrier and really continue to, to spend in that manner, or here's this local option. As you demonstrate for those employees, we can make meaningful savings while producing similar or better outcomes. You start to see that enrollment grow as well. It's this ongoing relationship really goes down to trust. Can the employer trust you with their employees and do the employees want to use you in a meaningful way? These direct employer deals can feel complicated or anything that disrupts the status quo a little bit can feel difficult. And some of the things that make that easier are a significant pain point on the employer side. The employers are really driving a lot of this activity. If there's an activist employer in the market, it usually kind of coalesces some of the other employers in their market. There are some things also that the health systems and the employers are doing to make it less complicated, and that's around the standardization. And some of the infrastructure that the health systems have built over time have made it easier for them with some of the analytics they've built, the networks they've built around their own value proposition to support employers. Those things coming together, finding the right combination of an employer pain point and a health system's capabilities is really making it easier in some of these markets to move ahead. I'd love Jim or Jeff's comment. Is it the glamour, the employers, the nationals, like the Walmarts and the Targets, or is it really those employers that have concentrated employee base in your region and couple that with local executive decision making that actually drive this forward in a more meaningful way? Who has the, the executive decision power locally to drive this forward? That's a great question, Brian. I'll start off and Jim would love to have you follow up. But targeting employers and which ones to reach out to is a really critical thing because a lot of people tend to think of the you know national brand name or something that would make it interesting to have as a potential partner in this space. My experience is that employers come in all shapes and sizes, and a lot of them have pain points that you can work with. And they do tend to be school districts, county employees, other employees that are concentrated in the market. 
One of the things we do with the health systems we work with is trying to understand local relationships they have in the market, pain points, maybe even brokers or consultants that are open to relationships around direct employer type opportunities to really understand where the right opportunities are for them and how to get started. Sometimes the smaller organizations can move quickly and give you a really good testing ground where the large employers might take longer and the decisions might be made in another location that are harder for you to reach. Now, if you think about the risks with the local employers, it's cannibalism. I'm already getting a percentage of these patients at a decent reimbursement level. Am I actually going to be cutting my reimbursement by creating a carve out or moving to a total cost of care? As Jeff mentioned, understanding your market, doing a market forecast and analysis, and then quantifying how much business are we getting today? What are we proposing? And what kind of incremental volume do we need to ensure we've got those margins is really important. Nobody wants to race to the bottom here doing the math. What we find is usually there's more business out there, even with the mid to smaller local employers. So doing that upfront comprehensive market forecast and analysis is really important. The regional and national employers look so attractive because it's all incremental. And so doing a market forecast and analysis, Kelly, can really help you prioritize your strategy out of the gate. Both the market factors and the capabilities that an organization has, do they set them up for success differently based on the type of model that they're pursuing? Are some organizations better equipped to do a center of excellence versus a comprehensive model? Some organizations are better equipped for carve-outs in centers of excellence. If you look at academic medical centers and quaternary level, high volume specialty services, it's a natural for centers of excellence, but they may not have the primary care and wrap networks required for total cost of care. These common denominators of strong physician alignment, commitment to analytics that look at cost, utilization, outcomes, and patient experience to ensure your data and your service looks attractive to employers and payers is really important. Care navigation and care coordination is critical, whether it's carve-out, total cost of care, and managing a population in general. Those fundamentals are important for each of the potential strategies with the employer relationships, but understanding where you stack up and your core competencies can also help you prioritize your strategies going forward. I want to pivot a little bit here. A huge theme for a lot of the research that we've done at SG2 over the last year or two has really centered on disruption. Beyond the employer and the provider that are usually involved in the direct-to-employer space, who else are we seeing? Jeff, I want to go with you first. Who are the other players that are getting involved here? There's a whole slew of technology-enabled and usually private equity-backed players that are entering the space because they see the employer dissatisfaction, they see the opportunity, and they're entering from a lot of different angles. There's some that are focused more on the digital front door, offering urgent care almost type services or digital services through their primary care offering. There's direct primary care companies out there. There's companies that are more focused on using their analytics to try and drive referrals for employers. There's folks that are brokers and consultants that play a very big role in this as well. 
There's conveners that are out there. There's organizations that are approaching this from different angles, usually bringing some sort of technology to help facilitate a population health-oriented type solution, which is managing chronic patients, managing certain types of services for certain cohorts of patients. Or there's organizations that are focusing more on convening some of the employers and bringing them together in a way. And then there's a category I haven't talked about, which is just the niche health plans as well that are joining the fray with a different type of TPA type service. Organizations like Collective Health, Centivo, Bind, Apostrophe, they're all lots of different versions of the TPA market that is really evolving quickly to help employers engage patients differently and also serve them differently through connections to different types of providers. And Jeff, I think those disruptors can be a concern and competitive, and some of them actually can be great partners. If health systems do a self-inventory and capability assessment and realize we've got significant gaps in a certain area, maybe analytics that truly can manage in real time how we're treating a attributed population of an employer, looking for partners in that space can be an accelerator and a great idea. Enhancing and accelerating your virtual health platform and solutions. So while they can be disruptors and competitors, they can also be partners in some cases. Vizient's offering, for example, analytics, services, strategies with employer conveners, and a lot of market intelligence to help with when and how to prioritize your strategy in D2E. But starts with understanding where your capabilities are and where your gaps may be. Some of these private equity backed and other players in this industry can be a partnership that can accelerate your strategies and your success. That's a great point. And there's obviously no shortage of uh, sometimes investment in this space. So people recognize the need to offer services that can serve the needs of employers maybe a little bit differently. Most healthcare organizations, as you say, Jim, have spots where they could find partners that work well with them to really reinforce the value proposition that they're supporting in the marketplace, whether it's better access to services or more focus on higher end acute services, higher-end complicated services, finding the right partner that supports that same value proposition and enhances it while still maintaining the brand and level of control that's appropriate for that organization is really critical. Assets that the system needs to really be thinking about in the commercial space is one, just the ambulatory surgical center category. We're already seeing a lot of pressure from Medicare to shift towards ASCs. The commercial segments really use that space effectively, and not all systems have invested in a meaningful way in that site of care. So looking at your site of care from a commercial angle, an employer angle, and saying, where do they need services? And are we providing really the concierge level that some of these disruptors are bringing to the market? The other one is really the physician side itself and a lot of effort over the last 10 years building out clinically integrated networks or ACO type structures that bring those independent physicians and employee physicians together in a value-based care world. But we're seeing disruptors saying, hey, we're going to create a real network, a real CIN that really has only the true high value physicians involved. So are we holding ourselves at the system accountable within that organization and looking at our physicians and saying, we're willing to cut those lower performing physicians? Historically, not a lot of appetite to do so within the provider setting, but we're seeing organizations create these narrow networks based on algorithms that they claim to have true high value outcomes related. Are we willing to take that on in a more meaningful way and then have those meaningful discussions with our providers to move this forward? 
That's a great point. Many of us on this call have worked with clinically integrated networks, and they do struggle with saying, well, this colleague hasn't met the quality metrics that we've put in place in the targets. So we are going to kick you out of the network, essentially. That's tough. And if you have a disruptor coming in and doing that instead, that can be valuable to employers. If you're a health system and you're thinking of pursuing a direct-to-employer strategy, and Jim, I know that you've alluded to a couple of these things, what is the best way to get started? Some of the things I mentioned earlier about understanding your market capabilities around the key fundamentals to manage risk, creating a partnership with employers and sharing data, getting employer claims to evaluate and assess where you think as a partner to that employer, you could help drive additional value is something that can really accelerate your relationship and move you into these areas. Also think working with your own employee base as a health system and looking to manage the risk for those employees that you're self-funded with is a smart way to start down this path. Then it's just the blocking and tackling of having an analysis of the capabilities you have in analytics, care coordination and care navigation, and which services may lend themselves to success. What am I missing there, Jeff? I think you're right on target, Jim. There's obviously some basic blocking and tackling, like you might expect, a new product type of analysis. Understanding the employer needs will not only help you with your product design in terms of what exactly the solution is, but also create the basis of trust that you really need to have to collaborate and be successful in this market. Listening, understanding their market, their needs are well spent early in the process. It's something that sometimes we see health systems skipping over. And so they want to rush to offer a product to really understand the needs is going to be a very, very important part about engendering that trust that you'll need to have to share data, to open the kimono a little bit, share your vulnerabilities with them. They share their vulnerabilities with you. Coming to the table with some ideas about how to manage their population and knowing what you know about their type of population would go a long ways toward bringing them ideas to spur that conversation about how to really do something that's meaningful for them. Brian, do you want to add anything to finish the conversation? The only other thing I've picked up when researching this is understanding the language that employers respond to when they're making HR and benefit design decisions. And providers don't always speak in insurance type talk that the employers can wrap their mind around and understand how it impacts their cost. That's a great point to end on. Well, thanks, everyone. Really appreciate your insights. And there's exciting things ahead in the direct to employer space. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast, on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.